I'm going to say a prayer for us in a few moments and ask God to speak to us through his word. But first, I'd like to read our passage for today in Philippians 2. And and this one is um, not so much theological and doctrinal this morning as it is relational and personal. So let me uh, read this for us. If you'd like to uh, follow along as I read Philippians 2, beginning in verse 19, Paul is writing. And he wrote this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for you all and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. God had mercy on him, not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you could not give me. And so, Father, as always, we ask now that the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the the truth teacher who indwells your people, would be fully activated today, Lord, that the Spirit of God might take the Word of God and lift the words off the pages of Scripture and embed them into our hearts. Will you apply this passage to each heart as you see fit? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I've always been the kind of person who needed role models in my life in order to learn things. Um, Flesh and blood examples that I could look to and learn from. So when I think back through the years of my life, I see that tendency again and again, whether I was trying to learn to play tennis or change the oil in my car or balance the checkbook or learn how to parent or pray or preach a sermon. I've always sought out someone else who was doing it well and then tried to imitate them, tried to emulate them. Of course, when I was a teenager and I was trying to learn the um, skill of being sarcastic and cutting people down, I found, unfortunately, there was no shortage of examples that I could acquire that skill from as well. So there's, we know, good examples and not so good examples, right? This notion of looking for examples to follow, good ones, is a concept found in the Bible. Consider these scriptures, even some from this book we're studying, this letter, Philippians. Join with others, Paul wrote, in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Famous verse many of you know, 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And then this great verse, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. 
So when you read the Bible, you regularly see these exhortations both to follow godly examples and also to set godly examples for other people to follow that they can look to. I should say that there's a, there's a healthy way to go about doing this and an unhealthy way. We'd probably all agree that just you know, copying someone else's every move is probably not a healthy thing. Like mimicking everything about your favorite celebrity down to the way they walk or do their hair. You know, there's something not real good about that. We know that God not only made all human beings in his image, but he also made each one of us individually with a certain distinctness that enables us to glorify him in a unique way, unlike anybody else can. So I'm not extolling the virtue of being a clone, okay, of somebody else, and the Bible doesn't either. But I think we'd agree there is a healthy and helpful imitating of others that, that can draw us closer to Christ, help us make progress and mature in our faith, faith and become more fruitful for God. I feel blessed to be in a church, to be in a congregation like this with so many godly examples, role models. Some of you know, this week I emailed all of, all of you who are ministry partners and I asked you to identify some fellow church members that you would put in that category of they live their lives in a way that's worth following, a role model. I've got pages and pages and pages of responses from you. And I, I want to give you a sampling of, of some of the things that um, I heard and that you wrote me back because I want you to know that we, we're in a church that's full of godly examples. So I'm going to mention some names. You might hear your own in here. I don't know. <laughs> Diane Johnson, someone wrote, has such a comfortable and warm spirit about her. She's so open with her walk with Christ and what she's gone through. She encourages me in my spiritual walk. Our small group leaders are Mitch Brown and Rob Collins. They do an awesome job modeling Christ-like leadership. They're transparent, loving, and giving, and supportive. Shirley Benninger, I would second this one. <laughs> Seems like whenever there's something needing done in the children's ministry area, Shirley is there to fill the need with a smile and never a complaint. I think of her when I think of the word servanthood. Kathy Phillips is a woman who loves the Lord and loves people. She's quick always to step up and minister to anyone who is hurting. Phil Coleflesh is investing in the life of one young man through the mentoring program here at the church. He is actually my son's mentor. He hangs out with him most Thursday nights. Phil is a fun, faithful, and responsible man who loves Jesus. Carol Middendorf is a godly woman, the closest thing to Jesus female style. <laughs> she's always there for you. She goes above and beyond. If you have a need, she's the embodiment of Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, always thinking of others above herself. Several people mentioned Claude Davis as being a, a great example and appreciating his investing in their lives. Aaron Smith has been a great example of Jesus to me. Jason and Laura Shepard are definitely examples of Christ-like selflessness. They give their time, their money, and their hearts. We're blessed to know them. Paul and Patty Trayson were mentioned several times. One person said, Paul carries Patty's guitar every weekend when she is on the worship team. He quietly serves her in this way. Doesn't make a big deal of his serving. <coughs> Excuse me. Jane Brownlee is a consistent and faithful follower of Jesus. She is all about putting others before herself. Tanya Robinson, active in missions and in the human trafficking awareness ministry. She sponsors a child in Makono, mentors several young ladies 
She always makes time for other people. Tim Shivers is my accountability partner, my camping pal, an incredible grill master, and a truly God-inspired and very patient man. Brian and Jana Park are people who are compared to sh- compelled to share the gospel. Lori Brown shepherds beautifully, loves unconditionally, and leads and encourages growth in the ladies of new life. She has an intense love for Jesus. Connie Cheney has been a great role model for me and a mentor to countless women who have come into her life. Beth Bentley radiates Christ. Just being in her presence, I feel the Holy Spirit filling the space around us and my heart. She is an awesome inspiration to me. Tina Bradley is always quietly shining for Christ through her selfless actions of helping others, always finding a way to bless others with kindness and generosity. Julie Ling is a beautiful example of Christ-like love. When Julie hears that someone is hurting or in need, she shows up, doesn't wait to be asked. She offers all of herself. Claire Robbins blesses so many people with her cards of inspiration and phone calls. She's always there to lift and encourage others. A number of young men mentioned Pastor Brian as one who has invested his life in them, and they're grateful for that. Joyce Strong is a missionary with strong ties to Russia, Kenya, and England. She always takes time to pray and counsel others. She makes a difference everywhere she goes. Kenny Palmer was the leader of my first small group. He's a kind, patient, loving man and has shown his trust in the Lord through the hard times. Steve Thomas always focuses on the Lord and what he believes the Lord is telling him. When he speaks, he speaks with wisdom and the word of God. He handles adversity in his life with a Christ-centered perspective and demonstrates Christ's love. Sharon Bauman makes an impact on the lives of people in my home, in Gehanna, in Ohio, in the world. She lives her life out loud as she seeks the direction of the Holy Spirit so she can live out the mind of Christ in a powerful way. There's many others. Lynn Sparks, Amy Brueger, Jill Campbell, Julie Lohr, Linda Thompson, Catherine Langley, Lori McClaskey, Sue Fry, Sue Bumgarner, John Wilburn, Tim Rashke, Lisa Ernst, Penny Hoover, Lynn Sparks, and many, many, many more. Praise God that we're in a church that has a lot of godly examples. And we didn't even ask the teenagers to talk about those whom they look to or our children and the many godly examples in their lives. We're blessed. We're blessed. Well, in our passage from Philippians today, the Apostle Paul introduces us to two guys whom he viewed as just great role models, solid examples of Christ-like selflessness, and servanthood. And both of these guys were followers of Jesus Christ. So the reason that their lives were worthy of being emulated was that they had experienced this mind shift that we've been talking about. They had adopted and embraced the mind of Christ. And so their lives reflected the humility and the selflessness and the focus on other people that Jesus had. So they stood out from the crowd. Now, the Philippian church knew these guys, but maybe you don't. So let's get to know these two men and and get Paul's perspective on them, seeing that he's commending them to us as role models and examples worth following. So you can pull the study guide out of your worship folder and follow along. The first one is a young man named Timothy. Timothy. Paul wrote in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So... Let's start by asking, who is this guy? Who is this young man, Timothy? You might recall me saying earlier in this series that Timothy was with Paul at the time he was writing this letter. So he was was right there with Paul, 
And all of a sudden, as Paul is dictating this letter and Timothy's scrawling down what Paul is writing, he hears his own name. Like, oh, he's talking about me. Wonder what he's going to say. <laughs> Paul apparently intended to send Timothy to Philippi after the outcome of his trial. See verse 23, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Well, who is he? We, we learn a lot about him from the book of Acts and also from two letters in your New Testament called First and Second Timothy, written by Paul later on to him. We know a little bit about him. We know his mother's name was Eunice and his grandmother's name was Lois. And that both mom and grandma had a huge part in laying the spiritual foundation in this young man's life. So moms, grandmas, never underestimate the influence and the power of your example in the lives of your children and grandchildren. Timothy was in large part a product of the influence of these two godly ladies. We don't know much about his dad. He, he was a Greek man. So Timothy had a Jewish mom and a, a Greek father. As a result, as he grew up, he was able to relate to both of those worlds that were kind of coming together and colliding in his day. Also, it served to make him a strategic person on Paul's ministry team. We don't know exactly when Timothy was converted to Christ, but we do know that by the time Paul met him, recorded in Acts 16, he was already a saved young man, already following Jesus, and evidently, Timothy possessed certain qualities that caught Paul's attention to the point where Paul said, hey, you know what, I've been needing an intern. I think I'm going to ask Timothy to be my, my intern, my mentoree, and he did. And so he became kind of a protege to the Apostle Paul as a young man. Timothy was apparently with Paul when he founded the church there in Philippi, so that congregation would have known him. They would have had some history with Timothy. By the time of this letter, Timothy and Paul had been together for about 10 years, and their relationship had grown very close. Timothy had become the kind of faithful companion that Paul could count on in any situation. You can imagine what a blessing it was for Paul to have nearby, constantly at his side, this devoted young teammate whom he could trust with just about any task or any assignment that he gave him. And so in his letter, Paul here begins to tell the Philippians how he views Timothy, because he's planning on sending him to them. I've tried putting myself in Timothy's shoes, listening to the great apostle talk about me in glowing terms and wondering, you know, would I feel embarrassed? Would I feel excited, humbled, affirmed, encouraged? Not sure. But Timothy hears Paul describe him in seven ways. Let's look at those. First, he says, I have no one else like him. So let's call Timothy a rare breed of a man. <laughs> I have no one else like him. In other words, Paul was saying, this is not your typical young man. He, he, he stands out. In fact, Paul was saying, I don't have anybody else around right now who really matches up to this guy. And when I read that, I thought, well, Paul, what about some of your other teammates, like Luke or Silas or Aristarchus? And then I remembered, oh yeah, none of them were with Paul. They were all out on assignment, doing things in ministry, and so that explains his statement, I have no one else like him. I think it's also worth noting, though, that as Paul neared the end of his life, I don't know if you knew this or not, many people, even his friends and partners in ministry, had deserted him. Did you know that? Had abandoned him. 
Towards the end, he would write this later to Timothy. At my first defense, my trial, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. And he also wrote, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. People who've been in ministry for a while can testify that abandonment just comes with the territory. You're involved in a church or in a group or a ministry team with people, and you're thinking, yeah, we're committed to each other, we're devoted, and... But there are times when people will leave and will abandon you and will desert you, and it is painful and it is hard. But it comes with the territory of ministry. What an encouragement it must have been to the apostle's heart to know that there was at least one man whom he could count on to stick with him through thick and thin all the way to the very end, Timothy, a rare man indeed. And then he says, I have no one else like him, and that's a... Interesting word in the original language, it, it, it literally means um, same-souled. I have no one else same-souled. We might say a kindred spirit. I don't have anybody else who's quite the kindred spirit to me that this young man Timothy is, Paul was saying. He was saying our hearts are knit together. This guy thinks like me. He loves the same things I love. He shares the same passion for Jesus that I have. They'd been together long enough, and Timothy was teachable enough that Paul's heartbeat had become his heartbeat. And Timothy could probably finish Paul's sentences, like some of you spouses who have been married for years and years, and you just know how each other think. Paul said, I, I, don't, have any, I don't have a like-minded kindred spirit quite like this man, Timothy. And he says, he takes a genuine interest in your welfare. So let's call him, third, a caring minister. A caring minister. He takes a genuine interest in you. In other words, hey, Philippians, Timothy really loves you guys. He does. He talks about you. His heart goes out to you. He deeply cares for you, like me. Timothy longs to know how, how you're doing, how your walk with Christ is going, what's the condition of your heart towards the Lord. A caring minister. How many of you have had some caring ministers in your life in church? Can I see that? See your hands? Yeah. You know, this is a, a primary evidence of the calling of God upon someone for the ministry of pastoring, I believe. They care deeply about the well-being of people. Now, caring about theology and doctrine is great. I'm a fan, right? Caring about theology is wonderful. It's great. But having that without a corresponding love for people just makes you dangerous. As the Bible says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love edifies. You overheard the pastor maybe who said, you know what, the ministry would be great if it weren't for people. It's like, the ministry is people. <laughs> That's what the ministry is I wonder how many young men have felt called by God to ministry, went off and enrolled in Bible college or seminary, fell in love with doctrine and theology and the Word of God and preaching. All of those are good things, but never cultivated a heart for people. Probably thousands of young men fall in that category, and their ministry is greatly impaired as a result, maybe even non-existent. Timothy was different. He was a truly caring minister for the Lord. Over the past few weeks, I've 
talked with several people in our church who have had the experience of being deeply wounded in the past by uncaring ministers who were harsh with them or abused them in some way or broke their trust or took advantage of them. They're on the receiving end of what's been termed spiritual abuse. And that's hard. And maybe, maybe that's you today. Maybe you've come out of a background where you experienced that. And I just want to say to you that I am so sorry that that happened to you. And I want you to know that those pastors were not expressing the mind of Christ to you. And my prayer is that God will heal your heart and give you the ability to forgive and to be free, to be free again. May the Lord raise up more ministers like Timothy who genuinely cared both for the word of God and for people. Fourth, Paul says, this kind of makes this offhanded comment, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He kind of had humanity pegged, didn't he? Earlier, you might recall him talking about how the world we live in is a dark place and a crooked and twisted place. And this is the cause of that. Everyone looks out for his own interests, self-focus, self-absorption. And so how can we shine like bright stars in a dark world? Well, follow the example of this young man, Timothy, who was a Christ-focused disciple of Jesus. That's the fourth one there. To get so close to Jesus that Jesus' heartbeat becomes your heartbeat. That what interests Jesus interests you. And you know what interests Jesus? Others. Haven't we been seeing this? Others before self. You see, when this is happening, it will lead you to get your focus off of yourself and on to others. That's how a Christ-focused disciple lives. And that's what Timothy was. There's a fifth description. Timothy, he wrote, Paul wrote, has proved himself as a son with his father, so we could say a loyal and reliable son, like a spiritual son. Ten years of being together with Paul basically led Paul to say, I've watched this young man for a decade now. I've watched him go through this situation and that situation and this series of testings and and that trial, and I've watched God strengthen him through all of those to the point where I feel completely confident in this young man. He has a, a proven track record now with me. He's proved himself. Think about the example of like a father Um, a tradesman, you know, centuries ago with his apron on, working away in his workshop with his little son by his side, and he's teaching his son his trade. And over time, the son develops more and more proficiencies and grows up to the point where one day that father, after years of training, looks at his now grown son and says, you know what, son? You're now better at this than I am. You've proven yourself. You're tested, you're experienced. I don't have to look over your shoulder anymore like I used to when you were just a little guy. You you can do it now. You're accomplished. That was what Timothy had become, a proven, reliable, accomplished spiritual son who, Paul says, has served with me, a, a serving teammate. 
Kind of like the son who eventually grows up and actually becomes co-owner with his dad of the family business. Kind of like on Pawn Stars with Rick and his old man working together, although the analogy kind of breaks down after a while. (laughs) He has served with me, with me, father and son, serving together in the work of what? The gospel. And so Timothy, a serving teammate, letter F, and a mission-focused co-laborer in the gospel. He serves with me in the work, and the work is the gospel. That was Paul's workshop. That was Paul's trade, gospel work. His trade tools were not saws and files and things like that. His tools were teaching and preaching the word of God and praying, and discipling, and mentoring, and equipping, and raising up leaders, and shepherding, and caring for people. What joy it must have brought to the heart of the great apostle after all these years to watch this young man, Timothy, grow up and develop into this accomplished, capable minister of the gospel. Teaching the gospel, discipling people deeper in the gospel, praying gospel-shaped prayers just like his dad defending the gospel against false teachers, caring for people with gospel-driven love. Listen, Timothy had the same white-hot passion for Jesus that his father had. He caught it from dad. And don't you think dad was proud? Don't you think? That's my boy. (laughs) That's my son right there. He can flat out bring it. Must have made him proud. You know, I've been praying for God here to raise up more young Timothys and Timothettes or Tamithas or Tamikas or whatever. The female version, you get what I'm talking about, right? To raise up more young women, women, men and women. (laughs) Here in, in Gehanna, in the work here and also to serve alongside Pastor Claude in the work of the gospel that we anticipate starting in Whitehall. I hope you're praying for that too. Make no mistake, it's going to be work. The work of the gospel. It is work. It's glorious work. It's satisfying work, but it is work. When I think about that campus, it doesn't exist yet, right? It's only in our hearts and minds, but it's coming. When I think about that, I can easily see People, broken, needy people making their way to that congregation, being drawn by Jesus Christ to that congregation. And it's going to take work and effort and love beyond our human ability to take those people by the hand and lead them to Jesus. And once they believe, it's going to take work to help them understand who they are now in Christ, their identity in Christ. It's going to take effort to get them knitted into communities of small groups there in Whitehall, and to help them start to have a mission focus and a mission mindset to reach their neighbors with this same gospel message, it's going to be work. Hard, satisfying gospel work. Praise God for mission-focused co-laborers in the work of the gospel. That's how Paul viewed Timothy, and that's the kind of people needed on our Whitehall team. So, that's how Paul commends Timothy to the Philippian church. In effect, he says, look, if you're looking for a flesh and blood example of someone who's living out the mind of Jesus Christ, look no further than our mutual friend, Timothy, 
I hope to send him to you soon. When he gets there, watch him. Observe how Timothy lives his life. If you pattern your life after his life, you will not go wrong. You'll be following the pattern of Jesus himself. So Timothy was the first role model. But there's another godly role model whom Paul hoped to send to them even sooner, even before Timothy. It's the very same guy who had actually brought Paul their financial gift and would take this letter back to the Philippian church, his home church, and his name is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. And we've met him briefly before, but right here is the most extensive description that we're given of this man in the Bible. It's not much, but it gives us a glimpse of what kind of a dude he was. He appears to have been cut out of the same cloth as Timothy. So he's our second role model of selfless servanthood, Epaphroditus, verse 25. I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. So who was this guy? Well, the first thing that stands out to me is his name, Epaphroditus. Now, that sounds strange to us, right? You wouldn't name your kid Epaphroditus. But actually, back in that culture, it was a somewhat popular name, believe it or not. And some of you might have picked up on something. Within his name is the name of a Greek goddess. You see it? What is it? Aphrodite. That's right. You guys are sharp today. Nine o'clock crew was like, no, I don't see anything in there. Mm, You guys are sharp. All right. The Greeks worshipped a whole pantheon of gods. They had all kinds of gods and goddesses that they worshipped, and one of them was the goddess of beauty and love, and her name was Aphrodite. She was an idol. (laughs) So this guy was named for her, and his name, Epaphroditus, literally means Aphrodite's favorite, favorite son. That tells us that his parents were likely not believers, because Christian parents would not likely have named their little baby boy Aphrodite's favorite, right? Probably not. So he came from a pagan family. At some point he converted to Christ. We we don't know when or how. Perhaps it was back when Paul was first in Philippi and people were getting saved. The woman down by the river, Lydia, and then the jailer. Remember the earthquake and all that? And Maybe he got saved during that time. We're just not sure. We can infer a few things about him. Certainly he must have been a trustworthy guy. After all, this church sent a monetary gift by his hand to bring to Paul And so you wouldn't do that if you didn't trust someone, right? He must have been trustworthy. He also must have been a courageous man. Why? Well, Paul was not well-liked in Rome. (laughs) He had a lot of enemies. And if Epaphroditus had been given any background at all on Paul's situation, he must have known that his little excursion could be dangerous. Paul ended up getting executed. It's not a stretch to think the authorities might then start going after all of Paul's associates as well. But Epaphroditus went to Rome to be with Paul, knowing that most probably, so a courageous man. But we learn most from from things Paul actually says about him. And it's possible that like Timothy, Epaphroditus was right there in the room. And so all of a sudden he hears his name mentioned. It's like, oh, I wonder what he's going to say about me. I heard what he said about Timothy. Hope there's some good in there for me. So how does Paul describe Epaphroditus? Well, first he says what? My brother, my bro, (laughs) my sibling, 
That's the first description. Spiritual sibling. My brother. Of course, this is a warm term, right, of family endearment. We still use it today. Brother, sister. It acknowledges that through Christ, God has placed his people together in a spiritual family as siblings. So every Tuesday night when I go to my small group and I walk in the door and I kick the ice and snow off my shoes, I hang my huge overcoat up on the big hook, some of the guys come in from the living room and they say to me, Hey, brother, how's it going this week? And I say, Hey, brothers, how are you guys doing? Hey, sisters, how are you doing? Or maybe I see you here in the lobby and I can't remember your name. I'll likely say, hey, sister, great to see you. Hey, brother, how's it going? That's something they taught us in seminary in order to save face in case our memory failed us in the moment. And now you can use that as well. Now, sometimes I do know, remember your name and I'm just saying, hey, brother, or hey, sister, because it's that warm term of endearment, right? We're in the family together. We're in the family of God together. My brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier. So second, let's call him a comrade in arms with Paul. It means that Paul viewed him as one of his band of brothers in the battle against darkness. Can I remind all of you of something today? Can I remind all of us that we're, we're in a war? It's easy to lose sight of that in our culture of ease and convenience and prosperity, right? We're, we're in a war. We're in a battle. Let me just say this to you. If you love Jesus and you're working to spread his gospel in some way, you've got a target on your back. We're in a battle. Like a U.S. soldier fighting the bad guys over in Afghanistan, don't be surprised if you face enemy attack. I've been meeting regularly with a, a guy who's a brand new Christian in our church, just fresh into the family of God, just a few weeks. He's growing in his love for Christ. He's growing in his love for the Bible. And this week, he said, Pastor Steve, something's been happening. I need you to help me figure out and understand. I've been having these dreams, these unsettling dreams at night. He said, you know, the, the kind where in your dream you're getting dragged back into the old life, back into the old enticements, the old temptations. He said, you know what I'm talking about? I said, yeah. He said, the kind where when you wake up, you're just rattled, you're just shook, and it just, you can't go back to sleep. Do you know what I'm talking about? I said, I know exactly what you're talking about. We talked about it for a while, and, and new Christian, right? Brand new Christian. I was able to let him know that there's actually a battle raging in the unseen world. There's a devil, Satan, Lucifer, the evil one, the accuser, the destroyer, Apollyon. We basically did a short theology of Satan and his minions, his demons. And I said, you need to understand that there are unseen be beings who are very real, as real as you and I in flesh and blood, and, and they despise God, they hate Jesus Christ, and they despise Jesus' people. And so they set out to harass the people of God in any way that they can. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's what it felt like. And then I was able to tell him about, as believers now, are standing in Christ. 
and the spiritual authority that we have in Christ. And we, I got to talk about our spiritual weapons with which we can fight back at the evil one to the point where the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And he was like, oh, this is so good. Tell me more. <laughs> and I did. And, and it was just good for us to talk about that. It was good for me to remind myself, that's right, we're in a battle. Can I just remind you that this is not a game? So much at stake. The eternal destinies of every human being you and I know hangs in the balance. The glory of Jesus Christ is at stake. And you and I need spiritual comrades in arms, fellow soldiers fighting, locked arms fighting, side by side in the battle. You need that in your life. Some Epaphroditus-like people. I got some guys who pray for me often, and often I'll see them on Sundays. One of them in particular says, hey, hey, Pastor Steve, I got your six today. <laughs> I love those guys. I hope you have people like that in your life. This is not a game. We need to hook up with fellow soldiers who have our backs, who fight with us and for us. We need brothers and sisters like Epaphroditus, who's eager to join Paul in the battle and fought with him side by side. What a young man. Paul also viewed him as a faithful messenger. That's letter C. Letter D, a compassionate minister whom you sent to take care of my needs. A compassionate minister. Man, this is the kind of guy you want in your life, right? This is the kind of gal you want in your life. Now, we learn in this section that Paul intends to send Epaphroditus back to his home church, as I mentioned. But the reason is not what you'd think. Look at verse 25. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, for he longs for all of you, and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. He was sick, okay, and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. This tells us something else about Epaphroditus' mindset. Paul, listen now, Paul said he is distressed because... You heard he was ill. He didn't say he is distressed because he was ill. He said he's distressed because you heard he was ill. You say, what's going on there? Well, Epaphroditus was sick, and he was declining in his health. He was having a very difficult time of it, but he knew that the folks back home in his home church would have gotten on Facebook and found out about his sickness... And so he was, <laughs> he was concerned that they were concerned about him. Instead of blaming God, why are you letting me be sick? Instead of whining and complaining, instead of sinking into self-pity, Epaphroditus is saying, the hometown folks are worried about me, and I'm worried about them that they're worried about me. Do you see no thought for self here? No self-focus here? This is an unusual young man, isn't it? And so Paul says, look, I'm going to send this guy back to you so that when you see him, you'll be relieved that he's doing okay. 
he'll be relieved that you're relieved, and I'll be relieved that y'all are relieved, and everybody will be relieved, and no one's having thoughts about themselves. Everybody's concerned for others, and that is the mind of Christ. So Epaphroditus is an others-oriented servant of God. Thinking about others ahead of himself. This is, this is incredible to me. Rare, right? Rare. So Paul has extremely high regard for this man. Just like Timothy, he holds him up as an example of the mind of Christ and a role model for the Philippians to follow. He viewed him as a brother, a comrade in arms, a faithful messenger, a compassionate man who ministered to his needs and an others-oriented servant. And finally, Paul writes, basically, this guy, Epaphroditus, has shown me, he's demonstrated to me that he is all in. So let's use the term a sold-out sacrificial Christian. A sold-out sacrificial Christian. Say, where do you get that? He almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life. You say, how so? Well, think about it. Epaphroditus wouldn't have gotten sick if he hadn't gone to Rome. And he wouldn't have agreed to go to Rome if he hadn't counted the cost. And he'd already deemed that any cost was worth it because his life wasn't all about himself. His life was all about Jesus and the gospel. And he did all of it willingly. And that told Paul that this young man was all in. Didn't matter what the cost was. Sickness, threat, risk to his life. And so Paul writes this church, he says, look, when Epaphroditus gets back home to you, honor him. Welcome him, receive him, and honor him. And honor others in your congregation who are like him. Honor your godly role models. Like God the Father, who honored his son Jesus for selflessly giving his life to redeem mankind. So, Honor those among you who are seeking to follow in Jesus' steps. They're a rare breed. Role models and examples for all of us. So, thank God for these two guys. Amen? Timothy and Epaphroditus. Young guys seeking to follow Jesus. Every church needs godly role models. People to look up to, not to idolize, not to try and copy their every move but to pattern our lives after so that their closeness to Christ can become our closeness to Christ. So, what, what's the mind shift here? We're in this 50-day journey together, this 50-day challenge of embracing the mind of Christ. What's the mind shift here? How might the Lord want, want to use what we've learned today to help us think more like Jesus? I think there are several. First, I think this one's pretty obvious. I think Paul is just reinforcing the mindset of Christ of others before self, isn't he? He already held up Jesus as an example of that mindset. Now he holds up Timothy and Epaphroditus, and they all have the same mindset, others before self. I'm not all wrapped up in just my own life. I'm focused outward on the needs of others, so that's certainly a mind shift. God's doing that in some of your lives, praise God. There's a second one, I think, a little more maybe by implication, and that's to honor the right kind of people, right? In a culture like ours that gives honor and makes celebrities out of people who sing well, dance well, compete well, 
act well, stay thin, be cool, look attractive, and make lots of money. Embracing the mindset of Christ means a serious mind shift because it involves bringing a different criterion to the table for who gets highly regarded and who gets esteemed. Jesus calls his people to think differently about what kind of person is actually worth emulating and following. Can I just remind us today that in in the kingdom of Christ, everything is upside down from the kingdom of this world? Actually, it's right side up. It's the kingdom of this world that's upside down. But in the kingdom of Christ, we should celebrate that untalented, non-famous, homely, average people can become great in the kingdom of God. That means there's hope for some of us. Now maybe you're, you know, maybe you're on television or in the movies. Praise God for that. Shine like stars in that dark world for Christ. But you know, this world honors and makes celebrities out of a... Somebody explain to me again, why are the Kardashians famous? (laughs) Are they just famous for being famous? I mean, what... But in the kingdom of Christ, it's different. Jesus has a different definition of greatness and a different pathway to get there. Who's great in the kingdom of God? It's the people who give their lives away in service to other people in the name of Christ, with the passion and power of Christ, right? And bless other people with their lives. Did you know that in in the kingdom of Christ, when it's fully here, when it's fully manifested, some people are going to be raised up and honored who are totally obscure here and now. Nobody even knew their name. And it's going to be awesome. And it says Christ is going to reward those who live their lives out of his mindset of others before self. Christ is going to do that. And he's going to capture glory for himself through that. Christ esteems godliness. Let me say that again. Christ esteems godliness and humility. He will one day reward selfless service offered to other people in his name. Praise God. What kind of people are you honoring? And the third one, by implication, the third mind shift, I need godly role models in my life and so do you. Think about this now. Paul knew that he was a good role model, but he was in prison. He couldn't get to the Philippians to be a flesh and blood example of the mind of Christ. So what did he decide to do? Well, I'll send Timothy, a young guy who embodies everything I'm talking about. I'll send Epaphroditus, another young guy who embodies everything I talk about. And then if I don't get executed, I plan on coming to you Philippians so that you have some flesh and blood examples of what it means to live out the mind of Christ. We all need role models in our lives. I do. You do. We all do. This thing called the Christian life was not ever meant to be done solo. And so I ask you this question this morning, a mind shift challenge. Do you have anybody like that in your life? Someone who's seeking to think like Jesus and live like Jesus, someone who could by their life show you God's way to work at a job, God's way to parent your children, God's way to think about your money, God's way to have a relationship with Christ. Do you have a mentor? Do you have a spiritual partner? Is there a like-minded kindred spirit that you get together with often for the purpose of sharpening one another? That's my question for you.
If so, praise God. I hope you do, and I hope the relationship is mutually beneficial to both of you. But if you can't honestly say you have someone like that in your life, would you consider asking the Lord to show you someone like that or to bring them into your life? I, the reason I mentioned all these people earlier from our church is so that you realize we don't just have a few godly role models in this church. We have scores of them, maybe hundreds of them. Now, none of them are perfect. Don't set out to look for a perfect person. None of these people would say that they're perfect. Not a one. There's only been one of those. And he's in heaven. Look for someone who is a genuine person, who is more mature than you in the faith, who has more life experience, and who shows by their life that they walk with Christ and that they indeed embrace the selfless servant, others-oriented mindset of Jesus. You can learn from a person like that, and so could I. And they exist in our church. You know, that decision, that choice to enter into a relationship like that with someone could be the most defining choice of this year for you, of 2014. The impact on your life could be huge. Could be huge. So if the Lord's speaking to you about that, I urge you to act on it. To act on it and look to Him for His leading. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word. It's so good. Lord, I pray that uh, I know there are people in this room that you're, you're talking to them about being an example, about setting a godly example for their children to follow, for coworkers at the office, for people in their small group, neighbors. Lord, impress upon our hearts how much you want to use our example to influence other people. And give us the grace to live the mind of Christ. But Lord, there are others in the room who, where they're at today, what you're talking to them about is finding a mentor, linking up with a spiritual partner. And Lord, the reality is it's not going to happen if they don't take some initiative. And so I pray that you'd give them the grace to begin praying about this and then to, to take the risk and make the ask. Say, would, would you come alongside me and, and be a spiritual partner with me and help me be sharpened in Christ? There's so many things I need to learn. You have some things that I want. Lord, give us the grace and the courage to do that. Thank you for speaking to us. In Jesus' name I pray.